0: The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Hey, once again, good morning, everybody. Um, I really am glad that you're here. I want to take a moment and uh, give a shout out to our very own Jen Ervig. She's one of our pastors, and uh, she's written a couple of books, but one of them yesterday received a first place award from the BookFest Awards, and uh, it's the, bu- the book's called When My Mind Winds Up. So I just want to give a shout out to Jen. Uh, you want to give her a hand? She's somewhere around here. Way to go. And if you're wondering about that book, if you deal with anxiety at all, that's what the book is about. It's it's just when anxiety hits, how does she cope? How does she deal with it? So it's a book I encourage you to purchase. Um, And again, congrats on that award to her. Um, We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 and Luke chapter 4 as we jump into the conversation today. And we'll get to that here momentarily. But before we do, um, one of my favorite books that I've Uh, read multiple times, and I probably referred to a bunch of times too, is a book by John Ortberg called The Life You've Always Wanted. Um, And uh, in this book, he he, he shares a story about a friend of his that I want to open up by reading. And it says this, the first close friendship I ever had began when I was 15 years old. Chuck and I went through high school and college together. We double dated together and got rejected together. We were confidants and counselors and chums through every important event of life. Several years ago, Chuck called and told me he had cancer. The initial prognosis was very good, although he did have to undergo difficult treatment. In typical fashion, Chuck shaved his head before the chemotherapy began, covered it with glue, sprinkled it with gold glitter, and walked around the house in his underwear calling himself Chemo Man. (laughs) Chuck and I lived more than 2,000 miles apart at this time, but every Saturday morning we talked during the time he was undergoing treatment. The chemotherapy destroyed his appetite. He was unable to keep food down. He became so gaunt and emaciated that he was almost unrecognizable even to his children. At one point, an infection set in, and his condition was briefly touch and go because chemotherapy had so weakened his immune system. But Chuck pulled through, and eventually he uh, he completed treatment. Chemo man had prevailed. A month later, Chuck had his first post-treatment checkup. He called me that night. The cancer was back. The doctor told him at levels as high as they had been before treatment. Being a doctor himself, he knew that the return of the cancer this strongly, this quickly, meant that he was going to die. It was a death sentence. I was numb. When I went to bed that night, I couldn't even pray. It's some mistake, I protested. They'll find out it's okay. And I marveled at how quickly denial sets in. At 6.30 the next morning, Chuck called again. You won't believe this, he said. Someone in the lab had mistakenly switched his results with those of another patient who had not even begun... I uh, haven't gone through treatment yet. It turned out that Chuck's cancer was gone and has not reappeared these many years later. Yes. I'm going to live, my friend said. I'm going to see my kids grow up. I'm going to grow old with my wife. I'm going to live. For a few moments, we wept on the phone like a couple of characters out of a Hallmark commercial. <laughs> he couldn't stop touching his, head, his kids or hugging his wife. The things that had bothered him before faded into utter insignificance. He was going to live, and suddenly, he did not just know intellectually, but actually experience the truth that life is a gift. We don't earn it. We can't control it. We can't take even a moment for granted. Every tick of the clock is a gift from God. And maybe you're familiar with experiences or an experience like that. I do know that the older I get, I wake up with a weird pain and go, oh, is this the end? Anybody, you know, with, as, as years go by, it's amazing how you can go to bed at night, wake up in the morning, have some odd painting, be like, oh, something's really wrong. Um, or you get some weird growth somewhere. You're like, oh, this has got to be curtains for me. Um, but anyway, how about this phrase? Every tick of the clock is a gift from God. I pause there intentionally because sometimes we go through life so quickly, the pace of life happens to us so rapidly that, that we look back and go, where in the world did it all go? Every tick of the clock is a gift from God. We don't often look at life that way. When I think about, you know, along the same vein, we miss opportunities to revel in the moments all the time. I happen to love April and May in the Pacific Northwest. I love how you start seeing that light green color on the trees as the leaves start coming out on the branches. I love how you see the daffodils first and then the tulips starting to pop out of the ground and grow a little taller and the flowers begin to open up. I love how even on a walk yesterday with my wife, I was listening to the robin singing in birds as we made our way around our neighborhood. I love moments like that, but it's easy in our world to miss out on simple things like that. According to multiple studies, and if you just Google this, you will find endless articles to read. Anxiety is as high as it's ever been. Hopelessness and dread and panic and even fighting the will to live are as bad as they've ever been in our world. And yet you think of how can that be when you and I exist in the most prosperous society in the history of human existence? And part of it has everything to do with this word celebration and how it gets edged out because we're watching 24-hour news cycles, because we're focusing on all the negative things, because we allow the mountain of the trial that we face to overshadow the sun shining in our lives. So we don't celebrate, and yet celebration is a basic need whether you think it is or not. There's something about celebration that matters. In fact, I would say this, You and I, if you're a follower of Christ, ought to know that this right now is a season of celebration. In the Christian calendar, we have two weeks from today, Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. Why in the world would we not take, which we're gonna do, take the next two weeks to talk about the power and the need for celebration? And so here we are, and that's what we're gonna focus on. What I wanna do is prepare us for the reason that Resurrection Sunday is a big deal, and we're gonna party. I'm just warning you that two weeks from now, we're gonna party, okay? So, so prepare yourselves and hopefully this does that uh, or this helps as well. So let me build a case for celebration and where I wanna start is the Christmas story. So oddly enough, you can go, well, didn't we just go through the Christmas season and now we're moving into a whole nother season? But I want you to focus on what happens here in Luke chapter two. And you're gonna be very familiar and you're gonna feel like you were sitting in here just months ago, listening to the same text. And there were shepherds This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray over the scripture today and ask that you would help us understand. You would open our eyes to the power and the need in our lives for celebration. I pray for clarity, and I pray as we walk out of here, we would have a new commitment when it comes to this word and that it would exist more than it ever has maybe in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we read what we sort of refer to as a portion of the Christmas story. And we're in April, and I read it because it comes back to this simple fact. Jesus' entrance into the world was full of celebration. When 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 you have this portion that talks about these shepherds and all of a sudden there's an angel that appears to them and they're terrified and you would be too and yet the angel says do not be afraid i bring you what Amen. good news of what great joy, great joy. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then the angel goes on to say, this will be a sign you'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And then it says that the heavens open up and there's this heavenly choir giving glory to God. And the shepherds are amazed. Like I said, Jesus' entrance into the world was full of celebration. Heaven threw a party. The shepherds were invited. The wise men were invited. The animals in the manger were invited, which is why the song Drummer Boy makes sense that the ox and lamb kept time. Okay, I know you hate the song. It doesn't even make sense. Well, guess what? They were part of the party. I don't know what else to tell you. But I love how when you, when you look at all that Israel had been you know, experiencing, they, they had kind of 400 years of silence or so waiting for a Messiah, but nothing is happening. And then all of a sudden a party, the heavens open up. The shepherds see this angel talking about good news of great joy. And then they go on to, to, you know, experience it. And it says after verse 14, 15, 16 of Luke chapter two, that the shepherds go and see this baby in a manger. And it says they left and spread word concerning the child and everyone was filled with awe and they walked away rejoicing in the goodness of God and they were filled with peace if you look at your life and you you are in that world where the trials you face are overshadowing the sun shining in your life don't forget that you have a savior Don't forget you have this God that loves you so much that there's always reason to celebrate. It doesn't negate the fact that hard things happen. It doesn't set aside that you struggle through certain elements of life. It doesn't mean that that there aren't moments of darkness and heaviness that, that we face, but we can always find reason to celebrate because we always have a savior that walks with us. Somebody once said it this way, the difference between happiness and joy is this. Happiness depends on what's happening, but joy is found in Christ. I get that we're not always happy, but there ought to always be in us a sense of joy because there is a God who is with us. So Jesus' entrance into the world is is a moment of celebration, but don't forget for a moment that really his life was an ongoing celebration. Not only is his first miracle turning water into wine at a wedding celebration, but think about how he existed and what happened throughout his life. Let me start with uh, Luke chapter four, which is a quote from Isaiah 61 from the old covenant. The spirit of the Lord is on me, Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." Jesus walks into the temple, grabs the scroll of Isaiah, reads the scroll in Isaiah chapter 61, rolls it back up, hands it to the person in charge of the scrolls, and says, today, this is now fulfilled in your hearing. What is he saying? You want to know the the, the year of the Lord's fair? You want to know the recovery of the sight of the blind? I'm going to take care of that. And then he goes out and begins to perform miracles. He begins to teach the crowds. He begins to multiply food and people marvel over and over and over at the goodness of God through the person Jesus, the Messiah. Is anybody with me this morning? It's good news. It was an ongoing celebration. Imagine being there when somebody says, I couldn't see and he spit and made mud and put it on my eyes and wiped it away and I could see. See, too often you and I read texts like that and we check it off on our reading plan and we wait till the next day to read the next part of it. And we go, that's great, that's neat, that's swell. Do you remember when there was a guy who had never walked? It says he'd been lame from birth. And he's at the pool of Siloam. And over and over, he wants to be healed. And there's this, this, this legend that says if, if the water is stirred somehow, that whoever gets into the water first gets the first miracle. Well, guess what? If you don't have legs, it's gonna be harder for you to get there than if you don't have arms, than if you're missing an eye, and if something else is wrong. And so Jesus shows up one day And and, and there's this guy who, again, has been lame from birth. And Jesus asks him what feels like a deeply insulting question. Do you want to get better? Nah, I'm good here, Lord. (laughs) I enjoy people having to carry me over here, set me down on this mat, and have me beg for money all day. I enjoy that a lot. The response of the guy is, well, yeah, I do. But when the water is stirred, I can't get there fast enough. And so the the individuals that get there before me, apparently they get the miracle. I don't. And it says that Jesus put his hand upon him, prayed for him. And what happened? His legs worked. And then we move on to the next portion of the story, and that's great. Good for him. Time out. He had never had legs that worked. And he's laying there, sitting there, whatever he's doing. And and Jesus prays and his legs are better. Can you imagine the moment? All of a sudden, if that's you, you would never walk before. And it talks about he was jumping and leaping and praising God. Anybody remember that old song? Walking and leaping and praising God? Legs that worked. Like all of a sudden he gets up and Jesus helps him, and his legs are working. And you can imagine he's, you know, yeah, look at this at these. They work. They work. They work. They work. Look at this. This is amazing. My legs work. Why do I do that? I I feel like, are you not entertained? Okay. I don't mean that. But the reason I do that, yeah, I can be an idiot. I get it. I'm a fool. That's fine. But the reason is because you and I read it and it's like sterile. We read it, go good for him, and we turn the page and we check off the plan and we move on with our day. His legs never worked, and all of a sudden they worked, and he's better. You think about the blind eyes, you think about Lazarus. Do you remember Lazarus? Jesus was great friends with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. They were siblings, and they send word to Jesus: Lazarus isn't feeling good. He needs to. He needs to get better. And Jesus doesn't show up and Lazarus dies and they send a word, hey, Lazarus is dead. Jesus is like, I'll be there. Jesus shows up, comes up towards the tomb, Lazarus is dead. What is the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. He weeps, his friend's dead. But he's got something else in mind. And all of a sudden he says that he wanted the, the stone rolled away from the tomb. And one of the sisters says, Hey, that's probably not the greatest idea. He's been there a few days, it probably stinks. That's what it says. And he rolls away the tomb. And what does Jesus say, Lazarus, come on out. And you can imagine Mary like, you gotta be kidding me, right? That doesn't happen. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb. And if they don't go, right? You can imagine, they're freaking out. They're hugging, they're amazed. It's like this guy who thought he was dying of cancer. And then he wasn't, he's like, he's just hugging his wife. Couldn't quit touching his kids. The joy, the celebration that surrounded Jesus. All these people that were starving hungry, but had traveled to hear Jesus speak. And Jesus says to the disciples, hey, give them some food. They're like, we don't have enough food. They're starving. Send them to the next town and let them get all the food they need. Jesus says, let's multiply it. Give me me some food. Give me me some food. All right, let's pray. And he's he's like like rabbits out of a hat, loaves and fish. Like, here you go. Here's some more and more fish. And people are going, what in the world? They followed in droves because Jesus over and over created these moments of celebration. But there's a catch because we can say all day long, eye seeing is sheer joy. Legs, legs you know, working is, 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 you know, jumping for joy. Lazarus resurrected is party time. People getting the message that he's teaching. If you're up with the reading plan that we're doing, we're in April. Today's the third We read Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5 is a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. It's, It's the longest portion of Jesus strictly teaching in all of Scripture. And at the end of it, what does it say? The people were amazed. Why? Because he taught with a certain authority. And that word authority doesn't mean like strict, you know, it means he had a sense of life within him that brought them life. Why did that matter? Because the religious leaders weren't bringing them life. They were tying heavy yokes on their souls every single day they would listen to the religious leaders teach. And Jesus comes along and he's teaching to the crowds about don't murder, but I, I say to you, don't even hate. <clears throat> he says, that, you know, don't commit adultery, but I say, don't, don't even give lustful looks. He, he, he reframes this whole conversation The people go, wow this is something we can get behind. Jesus' life over and over were moments to celebrate. But but like I said, there's a catch. Jesus came as the joy bringer and forgive me for the bad English here, but, but Jesus not only came as the joy bringer, Jesus actually was the joy hander offer. You're like, you say things horribly. I know, it's like a plague, right? But, but Jesus not only came and brought joy and life and celebration to people, Jesus said in John chapter 15 verse 11, write it down. I have said these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Some of you need to memorize that, put it on a note card, put it on your mirror when you're getting ready in the morning, put it you know, in your phone. You can read it whenever you want. Have it somewhere, but put it to memory because there are, are times, like I said, where we need to celebrate that we miss the ability to celebrate. We let everything else overshadow our need for celebration. And yet over and over and over, celebration is a necessity. C.S. Lewis was a thinker and and became a follower of Christ and and a theologian that wrote incredibly profound things. But there's a simple quote I want you to hear from him. And he he said it this way, joy is the serious business of heaven. I love that. Joy is at the heart of God's plan for human beings because joy is at the heart of God himself. How many of you have heard of, and I quote them all the time, the fruit of the Spirit? How many of you guys have heard those before? Raise your hands. Okay. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love. The second on the list. Not necessarily order of importance, but the second on the list. If you're in the Spirit, walking out life in the Holy Spirit, then your life will be marked by love, joy. Would you say that that marks your life? Would you say that you have a deep-seated sense of joy? Would you say that you find reasons to celebrate in life? Or like I said, are you going through this life and there's, there's these trials that are overshadowing the sun shining in your world? Joy is the serious business of heaven. It's the second fruit of the spirit, but, but I love how, and I mentioned this, I think even last week, the, the, the letter Paul wrote to the church at Philippi Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Oh, oh, I got it wrong. I'm sorry, I was talking about how we live. I know, you're like, that's mean. I'm not coming back here, that was mean. I get it. Paul, and, and if you don't know this, most of you know this, if you don't know this, Paul was writing to the church at Philippi, the theme of the letter is joy. And where is he writing it from? He's imprisoned. So he can't get to the church and be with them and share. So he writes a letter. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. Always. Let me say it again. Rejoice. Always. That's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let me say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. And over and over throughout the letter, he talks about the need for you and I to rejoice and pray and have peace. It's this picture of what we're called to do and yet we miss out on the opportunity all the time. The opposite of being joyful is being joyless. In fact, I'm gonna go back to Ortberg. He says this joylessness may be the sin most tolerated by the church. Why is it that we have to look like we're dipped in pickle juice? <laughs> Jesus, as we were reading in Matthew chapter 5, talked about you and I being light, you and I being salt. You and I being a city on a hill. But is that happening in your life? And, and, and going back to Ortberg, he says, is how often have people misunderstood God because they attributed to him the grim, judgmental, defensive, soul wearying spirit of those who claim to be his followers? Unfortunately, and I just read one of the most recent reports on church world studies about how the world looks on at the church and and trust is broken and there's a jadedness and part of it is how followers of Christ carry themselves. Where's the joy? When was the last time someone said to you, what is it about what you have? Because I need that. And we miss the need for celebration because it becomes a personal challenge. Often, I'm reading here, the thing that keeps me from experiencing joy is my preoccupation with self. The very selfishness that keeps me from pouring myself out for the joy of others also keeps me from noticing and delighting in the myriad of small gifts God offers each day. A preoccupation with self that keeps us from realizing life is a gift. I want to go back to the story of this individual who had cancer and dealt with it and then had the test and it was all bad and then all of a sudden, wait, it wasn't. And I love how he talks about this whole picture of every tick of the clock as a gift from God. But it makes me think of the great theologian, Tim McGraw. (laughs) Some of you know where I'm going with this. I'm sorry, but there's something about that song. This whole picture of like if you re- if you think you're gonna die, you don't get. To- and he talks about it in that book, you don't get to see your kids grow. You don't get to enjoy growing old with your wife. And he says he found out it wasn't true, and he was gonna live, and he couldn't stop hugging his wife. <laughs> Tim McGraw. Everybody know the song? Yeah. I went skydiving, I went rocky mountain climbing I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu, and I loved deeper and I spoke sweeter and I gave forgiveness I've been denying <laughs> Someday I hope you get the chance yes. right, to live like you were dying It's that idea, like every tick of the clock is a gift. There are reasons all around us to celebrate. We're doing this series as a two-parter leading up to Easter. Next week, we're gonna talk about the how, some of the nuts and bolts behind what it looks like for you and I to celebrate. But I am warning you, two weeks from today, we're gonna celebrate. I'm like, do we get some confetti cannons? Like, we're gonna have fun. It is resurrection Sunday, guys. There's a God who loves us enough that we can celebrate what he's done for us. If you're in here and you go, well, I'm on a strict diet and I don't do sugar and I'm trying to do this and that, that Sunday you're going to eat sugar. Why? We're going to have donuts. <laughs> donuts, fruit, all kinds of fun things to drink. You're going to be in here celebrating. I may do the moonwalk. I mean, who knows, right? Maybe <laughs> pull off the wave and you'd be like, why, what in the world is going on here? Why? Because if there's ever a day that you and I have to celebrate, it's Resurrection Sunday. Buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be fun. In fact, unbuckle them because we'll do the wave, maybe. (laughs) You guys, look at who God is. Look at the gift he's given us, yes, in Christ and salvation. For some of us, the gift of relationship with people that love us dearly. Sometimes the gift of, of walking outside as you leave here today and looking at some of the trees and watching that light green color. As it gets darker, as we get into May and June, the big bright leaves, the flowers, the sun shining on our face. We miss out on these opportunities because again, we let stuff, stress, anxiety, all this overshadow the hope that we have and the gifts that God gives us all the time. Let me, let me mention it's one of my favorite quotes from G, G.K. Chesterton, and I've read it before, but I just want you to hear this because I, to me it's like it couldn't be put better. And then I'm gonna wrap this up. A child kicks his legs rhythmically through excess, not absence of life. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit, fierce, and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown up person does it again until they are nearly dead. For grown up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never grown tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. And listen to this, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. about as you've raised kids, their energy, and yes, they wear us out. And somebody reminded me years ago, and I've never forgotten this, the days are long, but the years are short. The reminder of the joy and energy of children is a reflection of the heart of a God who reminds us to celebrate, to find joy in simple things, to realize the power of his love and salvation. Does joy and celebration mark your life as a follower of Christ? If you are one, the challenge is it should. And Like I said, next week we'll get into the how. We'll talk about the details, but I want to pray. Father, today, God, I would ask that that you would continue to open our hearts when it comes to celebration. And that's not to set aside the seriousness of some of the things that go on in our world or some of the things that people face personally. But God, it's in those moments that we're reminded, Jesus, you refuse to leave us or forsake us. And that right there is a reason for joy. The moments of celebration, whether it be, God, anniversaries in marriage or the birthday that used to be something to celebrate. As we get older, it feels less so. God, reframe our hearts that every tick of the clock is a gift. Jesus, help us see differently and live differently because maybe for some today, and that's been my prayer, the light bulbs come on, that God, we have reason to celebrate. Jesus, I pray your spirit would remind us. I pray for some that need to leave here and memorize John 15, 11. that Jesus, you not only were a carrier of joy, but you handed it off to us that our joy would be complete in you. God, help us walk that out. Remind us of it when life gets overwhelming, when anger wants to be the order of the day, where frustration, depression, anxiety, fear, dread, panic, hopelessness, where those want to set in. God, I pray we would fight back with the joy you've given us as we surrender to your spirit in Jesus' name.